Welcome to episode 159 of the Fitness Simplified Podcast. I'm your host, Kim Schlott. On today's episode, I am taking you behind the scenes of my personal eating for heart health quest. I have been meeting with a cardiologist with a a recent diagnosis and a significant family history, and I'm going to take you behind the scenes and show you what kind of testing they have done for me to evaluate my risk for um, cardiovascular disease, what kind of tests there are available, what the results of those tests mean, um, what changes I am making to my diet based on some nutritional guidelines, where did I get these guidelines, what kind of changes are there, um, what kind of mistakes. I've already made in trying to implement these changes and what I'm going to do going forward. Uh, Yes, I'm talking about myself, but this episode is really about you and what you can do in your life to help prevent what is the number one killer of women in menopause, and that is cardiovascular disease. Let's go. We are going to start today's episode with a story. Going to do a little story time here, and I want to warn you, it is a sad story, but it's an important story. So, in the spring of 2012, one Friday evening, my family sat around the dinner table. I had three young children. We were eating one of our favorite meals, chicken spaghetti. The phone rang, and this was back in the days of landlines. My oldest son, who was 11, answered the phone said, mom, I think it's Gigi, but she sounds funny. Like I can't understand her. Gigi is what my kids call my mom. I took the phone from my son. I said, hello. And in that instant, my whole world changed. My mother, her voice taking on a quality I had never heard in a human voice. Anguish might be the right word. Torture, torture perhaps is the right word. He's dead. She screamed over and over, screaming, he's dead. The he was my father. My kind, hardworking, hilarious father was dead. I had just spent the day with him a week before working side by side under my mother's direction to set up an event she was hosting, hauling tables, sweeping, climbing ladders. He was highly physical and my dad seemed fit as a fiddle. He didn't seem sick at all. We didn't know at that moment what was lurking deep inside him, poised to take him from us. On that Friday afternoon in April, my parents had been chipping wood, branches of a tree that they'd cut down. My mom had gone inside to help my sister get ready for a dance she was attending that evening. And when she came back outside, she found him lying face down in the grass. They tried to revive him, but he was already gone. A massive heart attack. 63 years of age, which is just 11 years older than I am at the time of this recording. The autopsy found that he had advanced coronary artery disease, just as his father had when he too died of a heart attack at 67. Besides the indescribable grief of mourning my father, there was something else happening inside my head and inside my heart. Fear was growing, fear of dying of a heart attack. I began gathering heart-healthy recipes. I scoured the health aisles at Barnes & Noble and came home, arms filled with books written by doctors, hopeful that they would help me avoid the fate of my father and my grandfather and my maternal grandmother as well. She died at 78 after five heart attacks that began in her late 30s. I massively and immediately overhauled my diet. Now, this was all shortly after I'd lost 
40 pounds on Nutrisystem. But before I had learned to like any vegetables or even understand what a calorie was. And I soon discovered it was hard to eat heart healthy when one hates all vegetables except for spinach. I was mostly just starving myself. Too afraid to eat until one day, several weeks later, my friend had had enough and yelled at me to just stop it. I think she actually grabbed me by the shoulders and shook me if I remember correctly. She told me I couldn't exist on just spinach, strawberries, and walnuts. And she was right. And I knew she was right. And so I went back to eating how I was eating before and added in some serious emotional eating on top of it and promptly regained over half the weight that I had lost on Nutrisystem. Now I'm telling you this story because recently I have been meeting with a cardiologist. It started with exercise induced heart palpitations in July. No worries, nothing has come of that. I'm all good with the palpitations. But during the full workup that started as a result of these palpitations, we discovered some not so good things about my heart health. I'm gonna give you the full deets in just a minute as to what kind of testing he ordered and the results, but long story short, as it stands at the moment, I am at an increased risk for cardiovascular disease. How could this be? I've spent the last nine years working on my health. I got to a healthy weight. I taught myself to not just eat vegetables, but to enjoy vegetables. Over three dozen vegetables I can think of off the top of my head. I walk daily. I swapped my diet of noodle roni, mac and cheese, and tasty cakes with an occasional healthy item thrown in for instead a diet of salads, salmon, vegetables, and oatmeal with smaller bits of the mac and cheese and tasty cakes thrown in. If you don't know what tasty cakes are, those are a Philadelphia delicacy. They're highly processed cupcakes and I do love them. Look, I actually help people get healthy for a living. It's what I do. Yet here I was with a cardiologist explaining that he was concerned about my long-term heart health. Genetics are not fair, he explained. The doc ordered more tests and scheduled a follow-up visit for late this month here in October. Between our initial visit and last week's follow-up, I had time to think. And my initial instinct upon receiving the preliminary results back in August was to do a sweeping overhaul of my diet. I got my hands on the American Society for Preventative Cardiology's clinical practice statement on evidence-based approaches to nutritional modifications to reduce atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease, and I went to town. I doubled my fiber. I increased my PUFAs and my MUFAs. I decreased my saturated fat to below 6%. I bought the upgraded uh, version of Lose It so I could track my saturated fat and see what percentage I was at. I cut out red meat. I started eating tofu. I even stopped eating chicken for a bit in favor of just salmon and lentils and plant-based protein. Several weeks in, I realized I was doing exactly what I had done 10 years ago, but the only difference was that I liked more foods now, so I wasn't starving myself this time. Okay, Kim, deep breath. I said to myself, you coach people on sustainable behavior change and this, what you're doing, this ain't it, girl. So I want to back up a step here and share with you now the test the doctor ran as well as his findings and his recommendations. And then I'm gonna talk you through the nutritional plan that I'm now following instead of that massive overhaul that I started with. Okay, so I had two Holter monitors. I had a 24 hour Holter monitor. And then a month later, I had a 48 hour Holter monitor. These were to investigate the heart palpitations and all is well there, no atrial fibrillations. 
I also had an echocardiogram to check on the thickness of my heart, looking good. I had two EKGs, both were normal. The doctor had me buy an at-home blood pressure cuff and monitor it morning and night for a week. Now he recommends the Omron blood pressure monitor that's spelled O-M-R-O-N, the Omron blood pressure monitor on Amazon. Why am I talking funny? I swear I just said monitor. <laughs> the Omron blood pressure monitor on Amazon. It's a one-touch type device. There's no pumping of that little ball. He said that self-administering that pumping kind that they eat, that you're familiar with the doctor, that that can actually elevate your blood pressure when you're doing the pumping and then it won't give you a true reading. So he likes this like one touch device. It was really easy for me uh, to learn to use. I've never done my own blood pressure and it was a really interesting thing to see um, the trends. My blood pressure was excellent. 120 over 80 is considered a good blood pressure and I was consistently lower like typically 106 over 66 or 107 over 72, somewhere right around there. There, I had one day that it was really high after a night um, that I lacked sleep. So that was interesting. So that was all of the good news. And there certainly was a lot of it. Like that was a lot of good news. But here's the bad news for me. I had a test called the coronary calcium scan. Now this is a special X-ray that can show and measure calcium containing plaques in your arteries. And these plaques can grow and restrict your blood flow. So it's a risk factor for coronary artery disease. And I was, I was actually a little bit worried about taking the test itself. Besides the results, I was worried about the test itself because I have claustrophobia and getting into a tube is my idea of hell. Now it's important to know it is not a full tube. It's like a donut. I was totally fine in this test. I wish I had known exactly. I tried to look online and I couldn't quite totally tell um, what it was I was going to be sliding myself into. If you're worried about this, it is not a tube. It's like a big donut. You slide in on the, you're on the table. You go in feet first and your legs come back out the other end of the big donut. And so the big donut is just covering your whole torso. So it's covering your whole torso all the way up to right around your chin. And you lay there and you slide in and out, but you don't ever go fully into a tube and you're not going head first. That's really what I was worried about. You're not inside. Okay, so I did this coronary calcium scan. It was really quick. The score goes from zero up into the thousands. So when my score came back at a 33, I assumed that that was good news. But in fact, it is not good news. They also give you a percentile score, which compares your amount of calcium to other people's of your same age and sex. And I scored in the 90th percentile, which is not a place you want to be. You don't want to be an A student in this particular test, right? So 90th percentile. My doctor said at my age, the number he would want it to be would actually be a zero. So 33 was the number, which was not great. Now, it's not like terrible, but it's not fantastic. All right, so then I did my blood work. We looked at my cholesterol numbers, my total cholesterol. I was at a 212, that's in the at-risk category. You want your total cholesterol to be under 200. Same thing with my LDL cholesterol. I was in the at-risk category because I have cholesterol of 152 and we wanted under 100. And then the third piece of the blood work that was important was my ApoB. Now you might never have heard that term before. It is a protein that carries cholesterol through our blood 
And some doctors currently feel it is an even better predictor of heart disease than our cholesterol numbers. And my ApoB was 102 and we want it under 90. So high LDL, high total, and high OPOB, these were all risk factors for cardiovascular disease that I currently have. Based on this whole um, conglomeration of tests that I just discussed, the doctor recommends statins for me, combined with my family history. That's really what it was. The results of these tests combined with my family history, he does not think dietary changes alone are sufficient for me at this point. And maybe other doctors would disagree. And in fact, I may get a second opinion about the statins. I'm not sure to be determined, but for right now, I'm going to, I have the prescription filled. I'm going to start taking the statins and I'm going to work on changing my nutrition. Now, my cardiologist recommended a diet book and <laughs> I knew immediately upon receiving it. So he told me what book to buy. I bought it. Um, I don't want to tell you the name because it's a terrible book, but it, in the title, it had the Mediterranean diet in as part of the title. And I'm like, okay. Like, that's good. Mediterranean diet. I'm aware of, of that. That sounds like a, a good, healthy option. But this particular book, when just looking at the, the back cover, says things like, which carbohydrates are particular fattening? Okay, that's not a thing. Why you don't have to worry, why you no longer have to worry about dietary total fat, saturated fat, and cholesterol. Okay, that's not right. <laughs> so I started looking through the book. I knew immediately that those were not great. And then sure enough, I found things about the um, carbohydrate insulin model of obesity, which has been debunked. And so I knew this was not the book for me. This was not a book that was credible nutrition science. And so I looked for something else to bring back to discuss with my doctor, which I didn't think would go over great and it didn't, but he was fine with it. So what I found were the guidelines. Um, I believe I mentioned these early. Maybe I didn't mention these early. Maybe I, yes, I did. The American Journal of Preventative Cardiology Nutrition Guidelines for Preventing uh, Cardiovascular Disease. And so I printed these out. It's a lot of pages. Let's see how many pages it is. I have it right here in front of me. Now, this whole big packet, I am gonna give you a link to find these guidelines. They were free. I downloaded them and printed them out. It's 40 pages, but at least half of those are um, links to the studies that um, these guidelines are based on. So that's exciting to have too. So I brought these guidelines into the doctor and said, this is what I would like to do. I was hoping he'd be interested in them enough to be like, oh, I should get these, my hands on these and actually base my nutrition recommendations on this instead of this terrible book, you know, for his other patients. But he, he wasn't so interested in that discussion, but I tried. Okay. But for me, he was fine with me following these. So I want to explain a little bit about what's in these guidelines. So in the guidelines there it is separated that gives you some good background information. And then it talks about various types of diets. Don't think about like weight loss diet, but like patterns of eating and discusses how their impact as far as heart health. And then it gives guidelines for general heart healthy eating. Like what's a generally good preventative um, diet to prevent cardiovascular disease, as well as addressing um, individual risk factors. So how to eat um, if you're looking to prevent high cholesterol or if you have high cholesterol, how to eat if you're looking to prevent or if you have diabetes, obesity, high blood pressure. So it addresses each of these individually and then an overall total heart, um, heart healthy diet. So let's talk about that last part first. First, what does, seriously, I keep saying normal words weird. Why did I just say first? 
it's first. Let's talk about it first. Let's talk about um, the general overall heart healthy diet guidelines. What do they recommend? And it's not going to be particularly shocking to you. You're going to be like, that makes sense. Okay. It's a diet consisting predominantly of fruits, vegetables, legumes, nuts, seeds, plant proteins, and fatty fish. This is optimal for the prevention of cardiovascular disease. Nothing shocking there, right? Then specifically, when we're talking about high cholesterol and high APOB, here are their recommendations. They want me to replace, and not just me, anybody, to replace saturated fat with polyunsaturated fatty acids and monounsaturated fatty acids. So PUFAs and MUFAs, when you hear those terms, that's what they are, they're types of fat. So they want less of the saturated fat, more of the polyunsaturated fat and the monounsaturated fat. And we can talk about what each of those are. So let's talk about saturated fat. Saturated fat is found in animal-based food and tropical oils. So we're talking butter, cheese, ice cream, beef, lamb, pork, poultry, especially poultry with the skin on, coconut oil, palm oil, uh, coconut, as well as lots of baked goods and fried foods. The American Heart Association recommends 6% or less of total daily calories coming from these saturated fats. These guidelines basically just say like, we wanna reduce that and replace it with the PUFAs and the MUFAs. So we definitely wanna see less of those types of food. And specifically, not just less of those, but what we really wanna replace it with is PUFAs. That's the one that has the most bang for its buck. And then MUFAs following that. So the PUFAs, the polyunsaturated fatty acids, that's fish like salmon, mackerel, herring, albacore tuna, trout, um, oils like soybean oil and corn oil, walnuts, sunflower seed, flaxseed, flaxseed oil, tofu, and soybeans. Those are some of the polyunsaturated fatty acids. The more you can replace those saturated food fats with these type of fats, the better impact it's going to have on the ability to lower total cholesterol and lower that LDL cholesterol. And then the other type of fat that is preferable to saturated fat is the monounsaturated fats. So the MUFAs, olive oil, canola oil, nuts like cashews, almonds, pistachios, hazelnuts, and macadamia nuts, avocados, and seeds. So those are a big part. We want to reduce the saturated fat and replace it with these PUFAs and MUFAs. Then they talk about reducing dietary cholesterol. And this is definitely one that I want to get some more. Uh, I want to ask some follow-up questions of some registered dietitians um, about this particular area. It seems like the, re the research is always changing as to whether or not cholesterol and food significantly impacts the cholesterol in our bodies. And here in this paper, it definitely seems to be saying that it does, as it does suggest reducing it. So I want to get some further guidance there on dietary cholesterol but for now I am working on limiting dietary cholesterol. Okay, and then increasing the intake of fiber rich foods, berries, lentils, pears, avocado, chia seeds, oats. Um, you can Google what foods have a lot of fiber and pick the ones that you like. There's a bunch, I just listed a, a bunch that I tend to like, um, well, except for pears. I, I do not like pears, but pears have a lot of fiber in them. Now there's no top end for how much fiber you should eat. There's no like, don't eat more than this, but there is a bottom end minimum 25 to 30, and that's minimum. You can definitely, increasing that substantially higher than that 25 to 30 grams can be very useful for reducing your total cholesterol and your LDL cholesterol. 
Okay, with all of those guidelines in mind, I wanna share with you what my new nutrition plan is. The main feature of this, my new and improved approach to eating for heart health is making incremental changes, which I know as a coach I should be doing. It was this that gut instinct of must fix this now that came over me. So I'm gonna really work over the next six months uh, before I meet with my doctor again, I meet with him again in the winter of 2023, and I'm going to really work on making incremental changes to my diet. I'm going to tell you the changes I've made already. When I look at them, they still feel pretty substantial, even though I've ratcheted back a lot of things. I've gotten to a place I'm really feeling comfortable with what I'm doing. Um, red meat and pork, I won't say are completely nixed, but pretty darn close to it. I'm not eating them at home or ordering them when I go out to restaurants. But if I was eating at a friend's house and she served a roast, I would absolutely eat it. Um, I typically was eating red meat and pork one to three times per week. And now I, in since I started trying to eat healthier for my heart, I have had it probably two to three times in the past several months, in the past three months. And this change has been surprisingly easy for me, as weird as that is, because I love steak. Steakhouses are my favorite. When it's my turn to like pick where we're going out to eat, I would pick a steakhouse over almost anything. I love it. Um, but it's been surprisingly easy for me to just not have steak. The other big change I've made is reducing cheese. Now, before my heart healthy approach to eating, cheese was a daily occurrence for me. Often, I would say more days than not, at least 70, 75% of the days, it was more than once a day because I would have some on my salad at lunch and some on my salad at dinner. And it is now I'm looking at that as a sometimes food. I'm using nutritional yeast for a cheesy flavor um, on salads and on sandwiches. And occasionally, like a sometimes food, I'm doing some feta on a salad or a little bit of cheddar on a sandwich. And I've reduced how much cheddar, I'm not doing a full ounce anymore. I'm doing like half an ounce or a quarter of an ounce, just getting a little bit of taste of cheese and I'm doing it sparingly. I've also swapped out 2% dairy for 0% dairy. That was an interesting change because Oh gosh, two or three years back, I went from 0% dairy up to 2% dairy after really digging into um, what can help a person feel satiated and satisfied and help manage cravings. And you know, having more of that healthy fat really can help with that. But having higher saturated fat is not great for heart health. And so back to the 0% dairy I went, and that was not a difficult change at all. I definitely love the flavor of a 2% more, but it's not a big deal change for me to go back down to 0%. The hardest of all three of these changes, so all three of these changes are to help me reduce saturated fat. And the hardest one for me so far was the cheese. Swapping out the 0% dairy, not a problem. Um, severely limiting the pork and the steak, not a problem but the cheese has been harder. I have also added in salmon two times per week when it used to be more like two times per month, sometimes three times, two to three times per month, I would have salmon before. And now I'm getting it in two times per week. We'll have either like a big piece of salmon, salmon for dinner as a family and, or I will have packages of salmon that are like the tuna pack. So it's like, like a can of tuna, but I get the pouches um, and it's salmon. So I often do that with my lunch in, on a sandwich or in a salad and then have uh, salmon as the main part of our meal once a week. I've begun adding in tofu. I'm new to cooking tofu. I just started it this summer. Um, the first time I tried it, it was delightful. I'm air frying my tofu. 
I was given advice to use extra firm and I did that. And then I decided to try firm tofu. Somebody told me the big difference is that a lot of people like the texture better of the firm tofu, but that it tends to be, um, has a need to be handled much more gently. And I, I heard those words, but I didn't understand just how gently I needed to handle it. I made firm tofu for the first time last night instead of extra firm. Every time I've made it, I've made it a handful of times now, I've used extra firm. And when you use firm tofu, uh, yeah, I did not handle it. I did not handle it gently enough. And by the time I was cooking it, it was just a pile of mush and I didn't, I did not like it. Um, so I need to either reevaluate my touch on that what is gentle with firm or go just go back to the extra firm. I was fine with the texture of the extra firm. The other thing I've done is adding in walnuts daily, typically in my oats. And then that, that those are the big changes I've I've settled on for now, those like six things I just mentioned. And in the next few weeks, I'm just going to be sticking with those things. I'm not going to add anything additional in or take anything else additional out. So I'm going to continue eating walnuts daily, uh, tofu regularly, usually a couple times a week, salmon two times per week, that 0% dairy, reducing that cheese. It's really going to be a sometimes food. And then um, the red meat and pork is pretty much, it's, it's gone unless I get invited to a friend's house for some kind of beef or pork. So that's what I'm doing right now. My next changes when I'm ready, and I'm just going to wait till I feel really comfortable with where I'm at with these changes now. And it just feels like a really natural part of my life. That's what I suggest when I'm working with clients, when we have a bunch of things we want to change that we change enough. So it feels doable, not overwhelming. And we stick with that until we're really like, this is just who I am now. This is just how I eat. And then we can add something else in. The next change I'm going to make, I've already planned out. I'm going to add in some flaxseed and or flaxseed oil. Literally don't know what to do with that. I don't use flaxseed. I think I've used it a time or two in my life, but I can't remember how. So I'm going to work on that will be my next change when I am ready. And then I'm going to introduce some of those um, polyunsaturated fatty acid type fish. So mackerel, herring, albacore tuna, all of those would would be possibilities. I feel like the albacore tuna would be the easiest one. Again, buying it in that pouch. I actually prefer the taste of the cheaper tuna, just the regular tuna better. Um, I just do, but how hard would it be for me to swap that out for the albacore tuna? Not very, that would not be a very hard one. So those are the next two things I'm going to do. Over time, I'll keep adding on other things from the list. Eventually my goal is 50 plus grams of fiber daily and less than 6%, five to 6% of my diet from saturated fat which is, that's a big deal to do. As I was working on that in August, like I did it, but it was not easy to hit that number. It takes a lot of effort. That's where I'm heading with this. I'll keep you updated on how I go, um, on how I go, on how things go. Um, I do want to mention um, where I found all this great information from on Instagram. If you look up Dr. Bellardo, I should have actually looked at that's her Instagram handle. Let me double check and make sure that that's actually her handle. So you can look at, you know what? I'll just put it in, I'll put it in the show notes. I'll put Dr. Bellardo's handle in the show notes. She has a podcast podcast called Wellness Fact Versus Fiction. She has a three-part series all about cholesterol. It is very heavy on the science, very in-depth going over this paper that I just uh, very lightly glossed over here for you. She really goes in deep about it and talks about all of the things that I've, I've briefly covered here. I would love to have her on the podcast. In fact, I just reached out to her team this week. We will see if I can make that happen. 
I also plan to have a registered dietitian on the podcast who specializes in who specializes in heart health. Here's what I want to leave you with. You can probably hear my dogs. They've decided to wrestle right behind me, um, but I'm wrapping it up here. Here's what I want to leave you with. Talk to your doctor about your risk for cardiovascular disease. It is the leading cause of death in women. Talk to your doc about your risk. Know your numbers. What's your LDL number? What's your total cholesterol number? What's your APOB number? If your doc recommends a calcium score test, do it. Um, ask about it. My husband was sent on one to get one this year. We actually randomly did it on the same day. His number was zero. Um, and he, they just did that as part of his regular, you're, now, you're 50 now, let's get a checkup done. They did that calcium scan as part of that. So you can definitely talk to your doctor about that. They are paid out of pocket. Insurance does not cover them. I do not want, know why. I think it is dumb, dumb, dumb. Um, you know, if cardiovascular disease, which it is, is the number one killer and it provides such critical information that can be used for prevention, why would this test not be covered? I do not get it, but it's not. I will tell you, I can't remember the exact price of mine. It was over $100 and it was less than $150. So it's not small potatoes, but it's not totally prohibitive. And I think it's definitely worthwhile if your doctor thinks that that's a good idea for you. So know these numbers, have this information. And then if you're ready, make small incremental changes to have a more heart healthy diet. Whether you currently have risk factors or not, make these small incremental changes. Start with what you can add in. Don't start with what you're going to take out. Start with what you can add in and go from there. Like thinking, what's, what seems like the easiest? What's the lowest hanging fruit for me? And pick that. And then add them on a little bit at a time. I hope this episode has helped you. If it did, I would love it if you shared this episode on your Instagram stories so you can help other people get thinking about heart healthy nutrition changes, their risk for heart disease, and what they can do to prevent it. Thanks so much for being here with me today. I so appreciate it. I don't take the fact that you um, use your time listening to me lightly. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Fitness Simplified Podcast. I hope you found it motivational, inspirational, educational, organizational. If you did find value in this episode today, it would mean a great deal to me if you would leave a rating and review on whatever podcasting platform you are listening to this episode on. It really does help to get this podcast in front of other people. Thanks so much for being here. Mm-hmm.